This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hahn. Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all this draft capital they have? Voila! Playoff contender. And Dan Weeder. And you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers. I just don't know what fantasy land that is. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw from the Mullen Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, who also filled in Friday morning for Mully on the Mullen Haw Show. We are continuing that conversation here on the Take the North podcast where you can listen to on your free Odyssey app, as I said, or you can watch on the 670 The Score's YouTube page or the Odyssey's YouTube page. Okay, it's Super Bowl week. We are going to get to our predictions in this pod at the end, but there's a lot of things going on. This is where players go to sell products to be seen (laughs) and to be heard, as was the case with Justin Fields on Thursday. And this week, Dan, he was on the Rich Eisen Show. He talked to Jarrett Payton from WGN. He had a lot of other interviews. And I think the overwhelming consensus seemed to be and in both in talking to you and talking to others, command confidence that you expect, but also an acknowledgement. And I think this is the important part, an acknowledgement of just what he needs to do specifically to improve the accuracy of his passing game. Yeah. Well, well, there's two parts of this, David, because I just think Justin's mere presence on radio row and the way he handled it or media row, as you said, it has been, it has been changed to in the modern era. Um, tells you what the national world sees him as right now, which is a potential rising star in this league. They want to talk to him. They want to learn more about his processes. They want to get to know the personality a little bit more. And Justin's ability to navigate that very fluidly, gracefully, uh, with comfort, with confidence, it's notable. It's obvious. It's, it, you know, we talked about it on the air on 670 The Score. It's, it's, it's a full acceptance of what the QB1 role is. It's an understanding that it is an opportunity to be something bigger than just a player on a football team. And Justin's want to be in those shoes. His want to be on that stage is notable. Now, the second part of that is what you talked about, the necessary improvements needed to his skill set, to his repertoire as a quarterback. And I'm really heartened by how um, much self-belief Justin has, but also how much self-awareness he has. His ability to articulate 
the things that he himself understands he needs to work on, the things that his coaches and bosses at Hells Hall have told him he needs to focus on. And the growth as a passer is something he's not shying away from. He's acknowledging that there's a lot that goes into making sure that the Bears never again finish with the 32nd ranked passing offense under his watch. And part of that is taking this next step. The words that he uses consistently are finding calm amid chaos. And that's part of becoming an accomplished pocket passer in this league. And Justin seems to at least know what's ahead of him on that front. I think what's also interesting is that here he was on a national stage, willingly on the national stage. But you know, we know how this works. We've covered Super Bowls. We've been on Radio Row. You know that every outlet, every opportunity, somebody gets Justin Fields at this stage of the offseason yeah, they're going to go back to what worked during the season. Yeah, they're going to talk about maybe the passing stuff that we're talking about now. But they want to play – I don't want to say they're, they're saying gotcha, but they want, to, they want to get an answer that may go viral. So they're going to ask him how he feels about the Bears potentially trading him. <laughs> and they have the number one overall pick. And what if the Bears traded you? Here's the thing that is good news about that. There was no news about that. Good news was there was no news. There were no big headlines. Right. It was not an overreaction because I think that even though he may not have been ever assured of this verbatim or directly, Justin Fields knows how ridiculous of a concept that really is for the Bears to trade him. I don't think he feels insecure about his place in the organization. And as much as anything, I think that's promising for Bears fans. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a consistent PFT headline hunt. Right. That's the world we it's the world we live on right now. You're you're hunting for that next little headline to pop its head out from behind a tree and you get your bow ready, pow, you shoot it, and then you've got yourself a headline. Justin, to your point, the secure feeling that he exudes, not only that he feels that he exudes about who he is and where he's going as a Bears quarterback is encouraging. The Bears I think have opened up channels of communication inside that building that are, are invaluable in a situation like this to explain like Ryan Poles can, can say to his quarterback loved a lot of what you did this year. There are some things I need to see you grow in. We really believe that you're going to be our guy uh, in 2023 and, and beyond at the same time with the number one pick, we have to at least go out and listen to conversations. We have to at least go out and use our eyes to do due diligence on these other quarterback processes. Don't take it personally. It's part of the job we're in. You focus on the job you're in. And Justin is is mature, and he has been since the day he got in the league, at controlling the controllables, about focusing on himself, about not letting noise bother him. And so that is a huge, huge, huge strength of a quarterback that has a ton of strengths and now has some weaknesses that need to be improved for him. Again, I said this earlier in the week, this is about now in 2023. This is about whether Justin Fields can be your quarterback for five more years or whether Justin can become the engine of a championship machine, right? That, 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 that for the next decade puts itself in contention to be playing on the final weekend of the season, which is what this whole thing is all about. And part of that maturity that you referenced was obvious to anybody listening to his interview with Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen Show. And this is a part of what Justin Fields had to say. Are you ready for people to start questioning whether you're the, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears next I mean, year? I am. Uh, I think they've, you know, they've, they've already been you know, saying that. So, uh, you know, um, how I look at it is just, you know, controlling the controllables. Um, you know, no matter, you know, what happens, you know, with me, um, you know. Um, I can control what I can control, and that's how I approach the game. That's how I, you know, train for the game and, you know, how I carry myself, you know, within the game. So it's just, you know, those three aspects to where, you know, uh, I kind of just have to, you know, look myself in the mirror and kind of say what can I can control and, you know, if it it is what it is and, you know, just 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 move on and, you know, be the best quarterback I can be. And, you know, now now is the time where I've been, you know, trying to grow um, – personally spiritually as a quarterback so i mean i've i've you know grown a lot these these past you know few weeks in the offseason well 
I, I want to front load the rest of this conversation with you knowing, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, there is an I in my first and last name, mm-hmm. and I am a, an on-air individual, so yeah. uh, I have an ego, but I, <laughs> I, I don't suspect you will know what I've said about this subject matter mm-hmm. beforehand. I think the Bears would be absolutely insane yeah. to trade you yeah. and choose somebody who's not done it yet, even though it's somebody who I'm sure you know well in Stroud. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't... They'd be nuts to do that. Yeah. But there's the, the whole due diligence thing that the Bears are going to have to do with the first overall pick or yeah. say that just in case somebody thinks yeah. that they might go in the direction of a rookie quarterback so they mm-hmm. could get the most out of trading that pick and keep you. Did, have they spoken to you about their draft strategy at all? Um, yeah, no, not really. Uh, you know, after the season, we had our exit meetings and, you know, talked a little bit about that, talked about, you know, what, you know, they could have done as a what we could have done in the building uh, to improve, you know, mm-hmm. just the facility and stuff like that and, you know, what I need to work on in the offseason. So uh, it was a good exit meeting and, um, you know, just, just looking forward to, of course, getting together with my guys this offseason, getting better with them and, you know, looking forward to uh, training camp. That's pretty good, Dan. It's everything you just described. And when you compare it to, okay, let's look at Super Bowl week in Arizona. Aaron Rodgers is going into a dark corner for four days in a cave in the dark for uh, to figure out, to find himself. Kirk Cousins is singing the Kelly Clarkson at NFL <laughs> Honors. Justin Fields won the week with the way that he conducted himself on Radio Row with Rich Eisen, with Jared Payton, with everybody. There's no question. And like, like there's, there's multiple parts to this and one of the parts is that it had Justin Fields been a little better had the Chicago Bears been a little bit better had they won six games and not been picking at the top of the draft board none of this discussion would be being had but it's because you have the number one pick and you very rarely are in a position to have the full control of the draft board that you have to at least open your eyes to possibility and that's what Ryan Poles and his staff have to do within Hallis Hall but we've talked about previously on this podcast that the desire to see this through should be as heavy as it's ever been because Justin showed you so much in 2022 that he's got the leadership ability, that he's got the drive, that he's got the playmaking flash, that he's got the ability to flip a game with one off script play that tells you, all right, let's try to see what the full potential of this is. And as we've talked about, if you get to the end of 2023 and Justin is healthy, you've got 40 career starts now under his belt that give you a much clearer picture of who he is as a quarterback than you have now after 25. And so it's up to the bears now to see what that is and then adjust next year, in my opinion. But again, because you have the number one pick, you have to, you have to stop yourself in Ryan pulls his shoes and say, well, wait a second. You know, what if we go out and we win six or seven games next year? And Justin turns out to be a guy who's deficient as a passer and is never going to get over that hump. Well, now we're not optimally positioned to make a run at our next guy. And so that's why you have to consider things now in this moment, but ultimately I think we all know where this is headed. In the corner of his laptop or in the corner of his computer screen on his desk, whatever the case may be, Ryan Poles should put a post-it that says, see it through. And he should see it every single day to remind himself to see it through. Don't be tempted to unload prematurely with Justin Fields. Don't be tempted to do this. See it through. Go where this takes you because you saw last year enough to believe that there are you've got enough other problems don't create one for yourself by changing quarterbacks at this stage and i don't think he's going to do that the evaluation of justin fields is a, a fun thing to to uh, observe from you know people who have done this for a long time um, whether it's rich eisen talking about what he said or michael lombardi who the former executive uh, who now works for vison and was a friend of the the mullion haw show a regular uh, last year. And so I got a chance to talk to him this week, Dan. And I asked him, obviously, what was his overall impression of Justin Fields? Well, I, I think Justin Fields is a six-pack quarterback. I, I, I'm not sure he's a, he's a pro passer yet. Uh, but I think if you're going to be in a situation that, that Poles is in, you're going to have to go down that six-pack road and you're going to have to build an offense like the Eagles where the quarterback's going to have to be involved in the run game. The problem you get in is Justin Fields gets hurt too often, and you're going to have to run him because he's yet to prove that he could be a drop-back passer in the NFL. You know, And so I think that's the issue. I'm not suggesting you draft a quarterback first overall in the draft, but I'm suggesting that you build a team around having someone 
uh, building it around the six-back offense, which is what he does. He's a running back first, then he's a quarterback. I don't think anybody could argue with that. He's not a drop-back passer. His accuracy tends to wane, and he struggles to make the most pedestrian-type passes at times. But he's a uniquely talented athlete who can make plays and run with the ball as well as anybody. And this game today in the NFL has allowed that to transpire. So if I were polls, I would just try to continue to build the offense around a six-back attack, make no bones about it. We're not going to be a West Coast offense or a, you know, a Ernie Zampisi offense. We're going to be a six-back offense and build the team that way. That's interesting. I don't know how you feel about that. I'll let you go first on this one because I, uh, I have some thoughts that, that may not uh, necessarily jive with Michael Lombardi. First of all, I've been around – football a long time as you have dan i don't know that i've heard it commonly referred to any offense as a six-pack offense right what is that implying this more blue collar more um direct it's yeah that that to me or or one step below elite level i'm not quite sure what the implication is i i do think this it's interesting to me that the description of him as a running back who is also a good quarterback, I, I get that because when you're talking about Justin Fields, what makes him special right now is his ability to run. And, and I think that sometimes we overstate what the importance or, or how the, so when we talk about sustaining that. You know, Dave Wanstead will come on our podcast. He's come on our, our radio show talking about, well, you know what? Think in four years. Forget about eight to ten. That is so unrealistic. Think about a four-year window. All you yes. care about in that four-year window, get to the Super Bowl. Get as far as you can. That's the, the, the sustainability of Justin Fields. And in that context, I don't think it's as big of an issue as some people are making it out to be. The second point to this before we get to your impression Jalen Hurts, maybe the same questions are being asked about this in in Philadelphia. He carried the ball six more times this year than Justin Fields did. Justin Fields just had more yards because he had more big plays. So if you're asking the question about Justin Fields, fine. Just be consistent and have the same kind of questions you ask about Jalen Hurts, who has his team on the verge of a Super Bowl title. Well, the the difference here, David, is that there is a – balance issue with the bears that doesn't exist in philadelphia the bears had the 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 number one ranked rushing offense in the nfl and the 32nd ranked passing offense and so that that imbalance as i should say uh is part of the problem here that the bears need to address and that they understand internally is not sustainable luke Getzi told me that himself in early january that that is not something that they can afford to have happen going forward justin fields has told you repeatedly he doesn't want to be seen as a runner first that's not how he views himself he wants to become an accomplished nfl passer my belief is that justin has the ability to become an accomplished nfl passer i believe he has the arm talent to become an accomplished NFL passer. I believe he has the aptitude to become an accomplished NFL passer. It's all about, you know, sort of polishing things up, speeding up the process, understanding what you're seeing quicker. In Justin's words, as we talked about earlier, calm amid the chaos, knowing how to make quick, sound decisions on a series-by-series basis that creates success. That's something just uh, Jalen Hurts has done very successfully for uh, an Eagles team that is much more fortified around him than anything that the Bears have put around Justin Fields in his first two seasons. But I think that there's a, a conflict in how Michael Lombardi views Justin Fields and how Justin Fields views himself, and more importantly, how the Chicago Bears view Justin Fields. And that's why 2023, to me, is going to be so fascinating, because they're going to put him in a position to say, all right, let's see who you are as a passer. Let's see the growth you make as a passer. Let's see what the results are, because there are results in here right now that are a bit troubling. And I'm working on a bigger Fields piece that'll probably launch in early March. And one of the things that you look at in this is something that Michael Lombardi brought up in there. I had a source say to me, look at at some of these numbers and listed a, a handful of numbers that are worthy of concern. Well, one of those, David, is the the fact that he has missed seven games due to injury or illness, and he's won five, right? You can't have games missed due to injury be more than victories. And so Justin's got to figure out a way to uh, shift those numbers, and the best way to do that is to make sure that you are taking some wear and tear off your body by not running as much, not taking as many hits, and becoming more of a reliable weapon as a passer. 
And part of that process involved getting better players around you, and that's on Ryan Poles. And so when you see what the Eagles have done or the infrastructure with which or into which Jalen Hurts, you know, arrived and, and went into, it, you need to try to do as much as possible similar to that in Chicago, which is why, and I think a lot of these things are – assumptions that we can't make yet because the Bears need receivers. They need an offensive line. They need more weaponry. But still, in that context, I asked Michael Lombardi how realistic it was to expect or to think that Jalen Hurts, that that progression that he made in Philadelphia is the same kind of progression and improvement Justin Fields can make in Chicago. Yeah, I think it is realistic. He's got to improve his accuracy, just like Hertz had to improve. I mean, Hertz is still not a great drop-back passer. I mean, let's make no bones about it. Hertz is not a great, doesn't show great anticipatory ability to make throws in a drop-back pass game. But yet he's a unique athlete who works hard. He has great leadership skills. He's the first one in the building. He's the last one to leave. And they've built a team around him. They've built a team around a run game that highlights him in the run game. And they've given him receivers that can make plays after the catch and block. And that's important. All their receivers on Philadelphia will block to allow their run game to have success. So I think that's the model that Philadelphia ha- that Philadelphia has given the Bears. That's the one they have to follow through with. But remember, when Hurts went to Philly, that offensive line was pretty good. They had Lane Johnson. They had, Mo- they had the left tackle. You know, they had the left guard. They had players already in place in the offensive front. So they started at a further point than where the Bears are. So, David, I asked Herb Howard last week, and I want you to answer this question in a second. If you had to shore up one position group before September began and you could only fix one completely, but you went to to week one and the starting gate of the 2023 season with one position group on the Bears roster completely settled and completely stable, what would it be? And then I'll give you a follow-up after you give me sort of your thoughts on that. Either side of the ball? Yeah, any any position group on the Defensive roster. Defensive line. Okay. defensive line, number one priority for the Bears. I believe that was Herb's answer as well. I don't dispute that answer. I went with offensive line because I think that you need to create a level of enhanced comfort for Justin Fields to figure out who he is in 2023. But the reason I bring that up is because you can go through here. One of the things that Michael Lombardi said there is that the Eagles built a team around Jalen. That's Ryan Poles' job now for Justin. Build a right. team around him. Right. And you go through it and you say, defensive line. It's bad right now. Offensive line, it's bad right now. Wide receiving core right now, it's bad right now. And so the idea that the Bears are suddenly going to have this Philadelphia Eagles infrastructure around Justin Fields is unrealistic. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be able to make the same jumps in the same way that Jalen Hurts did because he's not going to have this rock-steady offensive line and a complementary defense that, that doesn't put any pressure on him to score 30 and a receiving core that has two guys that are, are legitimate top-tier weapons in an NFL passing game. And so, that, like, Justin's going to have to find ways to manufacture his own success a lot more than Jalen Hurts has had to because the Bears can't fix everything at once. Where's your confidence level that he's able to be a better magician, if you will, than maybe Jalen Hurts is in Philly? Well, he is a better magician, and we saw that as a runner. Well, now you think so. Right now, you think he's a better overall magician, advisor, magician, yes. whatever you whatever yes. you want to say than, than Jalen Hurts. Yes, I do. I do. And so now the next step is is again, and Justin owns this, and I love that he owns this. He understands that he has to do simple better. It's not about doing the more difficult better because he's shown that he's really good in that department. It's about doing simple better. It's when you have a a shotgun snap catch and throw that you don't fire that two feet outside your intended target and forfeit seven yards on a play. The reason Justin has only had six games in his career where he's surpassed 200 passing yards is because he's not – consistent or proficient in in getting the eight yard gain or the the three yard check down that turns into 25 or the you know the 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 play that is the smarter play when you're holding on waiting for a bigger play and you've heard it from inside the building david that they want they think that he's terrific at making throws outside the numbers they want to see a lot more success inside the numbers the short and intermediate game and figure out where they can go from there 
so in that context, let's pivot a little bit here because the focus then shifts on the players around Justin Fields bringing out the best in him. That's Ryan Poles' responsibility to make that happen. So because Mike Lombardi has the experience that he has, I asked him what would be his best advice to Ryan Poles this offseason? Well, the game of football is always going to be about offensive and defensive linemen. And when you have an opportunity to build offensive and defensive line, do it. Don't fall in love with receivers. Don't fall in love with skill. Fall in love with offensive and defensive linemen. And understand that going back to the George Hallis days and the office that he sits in, the game comes down to simply who has the best offensive and defensive lines. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I always have said this consistently. You build from the ball on out, and then if you're fortunate enough to find a special athlete or special player at quarterback, you benefit from that infrastructure being in place already. That's what we're talking about here. It's why the San Francisco 49ers were playing on Conference Championship Sunday despite having to go from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy because they were so sturdy and so steady. Inside there that they were able to overcome a lot of things. And and that's why we asked the question just a minute ago on which one of those do you address first? There's not a wrong answer. And that's what I told Herb last week is there's not a wrong answer. It's just pick your pick your flavor, you know. And and so now it's up to to Ryan Poles to do these things. And it's why covering this football team and this quarterback and everything that goes along with this organization in 2023 is going to be fascinating because we're going to learn a lot about a lot of people in a short amount of time. And, you know, so much conversation on Radio Row and with you have access to so many executives and people who have done it before on the number one overall pick. And what the Bears have, not only with all the cap room they have, but the the responsibility, the onus, the opportunity to draft first overall. I saw Thomas Dimitrov tell NBC Sports Chicago and Josh Schrock, well, you know what? What he would recommend is maybe trading that to the Carolina Panthers who need a, a number one or need a quarterback and and see if they can give you banks in return as a pass rusher to get an established premium player at a premium position. But you hear other guys say, well, you want to multiply that into draft picks because you look at the Eagles, and as we said on the Mullen Haw Show on Friday morning, 10 of their 11 offensive starters were drafted and developed. That's how you get good. That's how you stay good. So in that context, Dan, because of – the changing value of the number one overall pick from year to year, from season to season, depending on supply and demand, how much is that worth this year? 2023, number one overall draft pick. What is that worth to Michael Lombardi in his mind? And here's what he had to say. You know, I think that's a great question. I'm not sure that that there's a quarterback that everybody covets. I know there's a quarterback that the mock draft people covet, and they think Bryce Young is going to be the first overall pick, and he's got tremendous value. But Bryce Young's 185 pounds, and he's under six feet tall. I don't know if that's going to be the, the sensation that's created. I think that's a little bit. I think that's a little bit harder. I think teams could easily say, "Look, I'll just take C.J. Stroud as opposed to Bryce Young and not give up any assets." I think that's going to be the tough one to navigate for. Uh, for Ryan Poles is because is there a guy that's in high demand and how far lower do I go and still create a get a blue chip player at a blue chip position? That's the question you got to answer yourself. Where do I go to where I just get average players and I get and I don't get the great star that I need to help my team? And I, I just don't think there's going to be to me based on the quarterbacks that I've watched in this year's draft. I don't think there's going to be this sense of, oh, my God, i got to trade up to get that guy. Because I think if you talk to people around the league, everybody's quarterback board's way different. And the media has Bryce Young as the number one guy, but I'm not sure pro teams do. Look, like that's going to be how this plays out. There's two parts to this, right? Like, I, like if the Houston Texans believe that they can re- live with either – Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis, they now no longer have any motivation to trade anywhere. And they stay at number two. And Lovey says, see, I told you so. There was not anything majorly detrimental (laughs) to to that loss in week 18. But I think the flip side of this that you and I have talked about is somebody's going to get desperate somebody's going to feel their clock ticking chris ballard may say man if i don't if i don't pull off something this offseason i'm doomed and somebody is going to come to you with a phone call that says i need that pick 
I need to have the guy that I want. And you're going to be able to turn it into something. Now, what we have talked about is that if you're Ryan Poles, you have to make sure that you look at your draft board, which is established and it's going to be flexible over the next couple months. And you establish a floor on, on where your, your top tier cloud ends, you know, of players. And you have to make sure that the headliner of your 2023 draft class is a guy where you reach for the Sharpie on your desk and you write that guy onto your 2029 roster because he's that good and he's that much of a difference maker. And so that's what you can't get lost in this accumulation of believing that picks are what win championships. Blue chip players win championships. And so you better come out of this draft with a guy that's part of your 2029 team. Which is what I found is fascinating about what he said. The last part of what he said is interesting to me and stood out. And it doesn't relate so much to the Bears as much as what the value of that pick might be and who might be chosen with that first pick in the draft. Not all pro teams are sold on Bryce Young as maybe some people in the media or maybe the perception of who Bryce Young is and will be as an NFL quarterback, which that tells me Michael Lombardi, you know, he'll, he'll say a lot of compelling things. He is somebody who can be somewhat controversial, but he talks to so many people and he's plugged in as well as he is, that's not just something he's inventing out of midair. Somebody somewhere already has begun this idea that maybe Bryce Young isn't all that. And I just wonder how much traction that kind of opinion or evaluation may have as we move forward or really begin in earnest this pre-draft process because the assumption all along, let's face it, down in Houston, they're talking about pairing the Bama connection with, uh, you know, you, you have you have uh, D'Amico Ryan's a Bama linebacker going to pick the Bama quarterback and Nick Saban's going to be happy and everything's going <laughs> to go great. But I think that there's this assumption that Bryce Young is the guy. And what Michael Lombardi said at the end there was, eh, maybe not so fast, my friend. Well, maybe it's. Frank Reich down at number seven, who's saying, I, I love Bryce Young, but we're going to tell the rest of the world that you shouldn't love Bryce Young. He's too slight. He's too frail. Yeah. Uh, we want him right. to, to, to right. fall out of the top five, or at least out of the top three. And then maybe we can get up to number five and, and snag him. Um, you know, who knows what it is? It's going to be really um, interesting and fascinating to watch uh, rumor dictate this process as it always does and, and and make things a little fluid through the months of February, March, and April. But ultimately, from the Bears' perspective, you just have to make sure that you understand the goal. And the goal is the goal, and the number one goal is to build a team around Justin and to make sure that you do so in a way that gives him the best possible supporting cast going into a year of development that is absolutely pivotal and is going to tell us a lot about the direction of not only the quarterback, but by extension, the franchise. We love the conversation. We invite the speculation. That is why we're here at Take the North Podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so sh shifting into uh, in terms of looking toward the future to looking toward the past or back at the Devin Hester career with the Bears, disappointing Friday morning to learn, or Thursday night, I guess it was, when the class of 2023 uh, was announced, and the, it will include five players, and one of them won't be Devin Hester. It'll be Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, Darrell Rivas, Rondé Barber, and Demarcus Ware. Those are your five Hall of Fame in modern in era, yeah. And and the Devin Hester news was was tough because I thought this might be the year, Dan. I don't know how confident you were 
but you were seemed more prepared for this bad news than I was. Well, just that, that's just because of familiarity with the process and understanding how difficult it is to get through the latter stages of this. I think that that's that's part of it, David, is just understanding that every year, and I've echoed this in a number of different forums this week, there is a cap on how many modern era f- finalists can be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and it's five. And so when you walk into a year like this, where there was sort of a, a, a consensus building that Joe Thomas was a no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer and that Darrell Rivas probably was going to be, you say, oh gosh, well now we're left with only three chairs left for 13 players and 13 really good players. And that's the, the, the crazy thing here is like you sit here in Chicago and you say, man, Devin Hester got uh, snubbed, and then you go down the list, and you're like, "Well, in Indianapolis, they're talking about how Dwight Freeney got snubbed, and in Minnesota and Kansas City, they're talking about how how Jared Allen got snubbed, and in St. Louis, and and uh, they're talking about Torrey Holt, and in Houston, they're talking about Andre Johnson, and 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 in Indy, they're also talking about Reggie Wayne, and so you understand that this is a very elite class of players that we're considering." I understand the pushback when you see guys that kind of make you shrug. Like I watched Rondé Barber a lot. He played in the division with the Bears for a long time. I watched Zach Thomas play. I thought those guys were really, really good football players. And one thing that annoys me about all Hall of Fames is when they go from the Hall of Fame, which in my mind is supposed to be no doubt without any question, excellence and elite players to, yeah, those guys are pretty good. Let's let them in. And so that's where some of the 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 anger builds up. But again, when you have this this cap right on how many players can get in and only five players every single year even get to the yes or no vote stage it's easy to throw grenades at the hall of fame committee and be like these guys don't know what they're doing we don't know right now in this moment whether if we stopped everyone on that 49 member committee and said yes or no there's a possibility that 90 percent of them would say yes to Devin hester but he hasn't reached that stage yet because of kind of this uh you know it's what do they call that that part of the expressway over where 88 meets 290 it's the hillside strangler i think right and you get that bottleneck there and Devin's caught in the bottleneck right now that is what is maddening to me and i think to fans because what you just described is a process that that, that says the reality, if he were a finalist, there's no doubt he would get in, but he can't get into the finalist uh, circle. So he's not going to get in until that happens, which I kind of understand. But I always, and I have said this, I am a Hall of Fame voter in, in baseball and, and I vote for as many people as I think deserve it. I'm more likely to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. It's a museum to celebrate the best of the sport. And so I don't know that you're watering things down if you let in somebody like a Scott Rowland this year in baseball. I don't, think that, I don't think that dilutes anything. <laughs> or or even Mark Burley, who I voted for as well. I, I, and I think in the context of the football, you know, Devin Hester, he might have to wait. But why? Why should he have to wait because of what you – if he's going to be a Hall of Famer, if he's in the finals uh, of the final five or final ten – it makes sense to me that he should be in now, but that, I can go on a rant. What, what so, I right, to- like, so, so like that, that like just b- but before we transition on that, that, that just to clarify for the audience, like that's a problem with the process and it's not a problem with the committee itself. Right. And that's where I think we need to draw a distinction, because I do think, like I said, I I said 10 years ago, I sat on the committee, but it was actually 11. I looked back and time is flying and I can't even keep track of it anymore. But like that gave me a newfound appreciation for how difficult it is to start with 120 you know, nominees, narrow it down to a couple dozen semifinalists, get down to 15 finalists, then get it to a 10, then get it to a five. And sometimes you don't even get to cast a yes vote for somebody that you believe is in your top three. Well, there are 49 electors, selectors, and Dan Pompey is a very good friend of both of ours. And, and I know a lot of people on the committee who, who do what we do for a living and have done it for longer. And so I have a ton of respect. I'm not, I'm not trying to impugn their character. but No, I, I am not saying I'm, you are. I'm saying that the I'm, general public does they, at times. They do, and that's unfair because the process is flawed. And Adam Studzinski, who is as big of a Devin Hester guy as – I love a good studs rant, and I'm ready for it. Yeah, I, I can imagine if we're disappointed, we're trying to reason through it. I can't imagine how Studs and, and Devin Hester fans must have felt getting this news on Thursday night. So, yeah, you know, I was actually a little more upset than I thought I was going to be. <laughs> I, I wasn't that I wasn't that upset last year because I kind of figured they're not going to let a returner in first year, whatever. Uh, 
even though I thought he deserved it. And, and, you know, look, yeah, I'll preface all this by saying, like, I'm obviously biased here. I'm literally, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing Devin Hester's jersey right now. And he's my favorite Bears of all time. His return in the Super Bowl is literally the greatest sports moment I've ever experienced, which is kind of sad because they lost the game. I realize that. So, so all that being said, I realize I have an extreme bias here. But let's lay out the objectivity here, right? Devin Hester has two NFL records, punt re- most punt return touchdowns and most return touchdowns, right? Those are the obvious ones that everyone talks about. I looked up this morning because I was curious where he ranks on the NFL all-purpose yardage list. He's 46 all-time, which doesn't sound that impressive. He's got 14,445 all-purpose yards, so that includes his receiving and his rushing yards, right? And a few fumble yards when he picked up the ball after he fumbled on returns. And But you put in the context of who he's around, and then you consider how many less touches he had than all these people. He's only got a couple hundred yards less than Marvin Harrison, Hall of Famer. Only a couple hundred yards less than Franco Harris, Hall of Famer. Only 13 less total yards all time than Matt Forte, his teammate, one of the best Bears running backs of all time. He's got more all-purpose yards than O.J. Simpson, Hall of Famer, more than Reggie Wayne, who's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, more than James Lofton, Hall of Famer, more than Andre Johnson, more than Chris Carter, more than Andre Bolden. All these guys are borderline Hall of Famers, if not Hall of Famers. And he did that with about 900 or so, give or take, touches in his career, which is like thousands less than these other guys, which is extraordinarily impressive. And then you take out all that and you consider the fact that He was the most dangerous player on – this is the point I'm trying to make. He was the most dangerous player on the field when he had the football. And I understand the drawback of, yeah, he's a returner. He didn't play all that much. But when he had the ball, he was feared. Coaches spent nights trying to figure out how do we keep the ball away from this guy. Players hated playing against him. His teammates loved blocking for him to the point that James McKee has talked about how they basically had an incentive in the locker room that if Hester scores – a touchdown on special teams, we, we have a pool of money that guys get. He's talked about this a couple times on the score. So I'll, I'll kind of end my rant there because like, I, I hope that that all puts so, in perspective of how extraordinarily impactful he was to on, on the NFL and on the game. And, I mean, and that also the fact that they literally changed kickoff rules because of him. I have, a handful, yeah. I, I have a handful of thoughts on this, and, and some of this can be found within the piece I wrote, analysis piece at ChicagoTribune.com. But, like, the Pro Football Hall of Fame puts together its all-decade team. And in the 2000s, Devin made it as a punt returner. And then in the 2010s, he made it as a kick returner. And then in 2019, you have this panel of former players and, and media and league personnel, and they select Hester to be part of that 100th anniversary all-time team, which included 100 players of all time. His first two years of eligibility, he makes the Hall of Fame finalist list as he's done. So there's a, a, a genuine understanding of how accomplished and elite he was. To your point, Adam, the, the biggest point you can make is that every single player who played with him believes he's a Hall of Famer. Every coach who coached him believes he's a Hall of Famer. Everyone I've talked to that's played against him or coached against him believes he's a Hall of Famer. I think most of the committee believes he's a Hall of Famer. It just presents this bottleneck here where you have this sentiment that he's a when not if guy and it's going to wait and it's going to wait and it's going to wait. Look like Richard Dent was a seven time finalist before he finally got through. We mentioned on the score on, on Friday morning that, that Jimbo Covert, the most recent bear inducted and enshrined in the hall of fame needed a special hundredth anniversary, 20 member class to be pushed through 28 years after he was done playing to get in. And so it's really frustrating for fans. It's definitely frustrating and maddening to Devin as the player i just think eventually we're going to get there and and our focus probably should be more on like should the hall of fame consider tweaking its process because this is a little bit wonky here and again like i say you read off the other names of, of the 10 guys who had disappointment on thursday night and you go damn those are some really really good players and you know six to seven of them may be in before it's all said and done so why do we put these guys through this agonizing waiting game that's like sitting at the dmv rather than just being like everyone agrees they're a hall of famer let's celebrate them and get on with it okay well we'll close this segment with what i will provide is a dose of unhealthy perspective here because i love that studs showed up in his devin hester jersey that's <laughs> very very appropriate for the occasion but guys i'm just going to tell you what's out there talk of fame 2.com talk of fame com includes a story about the process and what went on in electing this class. Clark Judge, 
our friend wrote it. He's been around forever. We know people on the committee. And this is the part that is regarding Devin Hester and it's labeled the surprise. And I'll just read it. It's about a paragraph. So just stay with me here. It's not often Devin Hester moved backward in his career, but he did here. He was a top 10 finisher in 2022, his first year of eligibility. But one year later, he failed to make the first cut from 15 to 10. That's not a good sign. Like most things in life, you want to move forward. That doesn't mean Hester's candidacy is in trouble, but it does mean it hit an unexpected pothole. Hester barely edged the Hall's board of selectors as the biggest surprise. Selectors met by Zoom in January for the third consecutive year and somehow never spilled the details of the debate. Keeping secrets is not one of the media's redeemable traits, but against all odds, the 49 selectors did this just that. But Devin Hester, the biggest surprise. So summarizing, Hester was closer a year ago because he was a finalist and he was made the cut from 15 to 10 this year. That didn't happen, surprisingly to me, because I think the assumption was, oh, yeah, he's in. But no, we're learning as we hear more about the process. That wasn't the case. Right. Like, so here's my last thought on this. And whenever I have an opportunity to vote on, you know, player of the year type stuff or or something of this stature and this magnitude, you look for signature moments. Right. And you said, did that guy have signature moments that I'm never going to forget? Well, let's go down Devin's really quickly, just in a, in a thumbnail. How about the first game of your NFL career? You take a punt return at Lambeau Field and you take the distance and you tell everybody, hey, hey, league, look who I am. And how about a month later when in maybe the most exciting victory the Bears have had in the last quarter century, you provide the game winning touchdown in a game where your offense could not score and you needed three non offensive touchdowns to come back and and fight past the Arizona Cardinals and the famous they are who we thought they were game. How about later that same season having two touchdowns in St. Louis on Monday Night Football? How about in 2007 when the Broncos come to Soldier Field and you're in this back-and-forth game all afternoon and you torture Todd Sauerbrunn twice with both a kickoff return and a punt return? And then how about the biggest moment of your career, Super Bowl 41, biggest stage that football has to offer. You begging your opponent all week saying in the, 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 the purely confident and calm way that Devin had, please kick it to me, please kick it to me. And then Tony Dungy says, okay. And you go 92 yards with flash bulbs popping and you do it. Like that's what it was. And one of the things that studs brought up a minute ago that I think like needs to be brought into this conversation in that room is that Devin Hester was a feeling. And I've said this before. He was a feeling. You can go down a resume. You can read a pro football reference page. You can watch like four minutes of YouTube clips. If you were ever in a stadium where Devin Hester was playing and you felt Soldier Boy come on at Soldier Field, if you were on the road and you felt the tension that opponents had trying to put the ball in his hands, you know what that feeling was. And I'm talking about it right now and I'm getting goosebumps. And, I, and I'm sure that you know what that feeling was. And if you know what that feeling was, you know it was Hall of Fame worthy. Good stuff. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, studs, don't go anywhere. We're going to close this episode out with our Super Bowl predictions. Ready or not, you can start, studs. Chiefs and Eagles, Super Bowl 57. What is the score? Who is the MVP? Okay, so I feel like my – Mine might be a slight outlier here because I, I heard your guys' predictions on the on the score or score earlier this morning. But I uh, uh the mo- I I immediately I, I I took Dan Bernstein's advice on this. Pick, pick your <laughs> I winner. I did not pick your winner immediately after you know the two participants because you start thinking too much after it. I immediately picked the Eagles because I think the Eagles are the best team in football. So I think the Eagles are going to win the game. And I actually think they might similar. I, I actually think the game is going to go similar to what happened with the Chiefs and Bucks a few years ago because that Eagles defensive line is going to get all over Patrick Mahomes and create all kinds of problems from him for him, I think. 
I think the Eagles offensive line is going to do what they've been doing in the playoffs the whole season. They're going to be able to run the ball at at will. I think the Eagles might win it walking away, something to the tune of 31 to 17. Good one. So, David, as you know, and you've uh, been riding me all morning over my flip on the prediction, I did what Studs did. I picked when I knew the participants, and I picked the Eagles. I said they're the more complete team. They're going to win this football game. And then I got here to the final days before the game, and I did the opposite of what Dan Bernstein recommended, and I flipped my pick. And I went with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I've got the Chiefs 27-23 to with Mahomes as the MVP because I think this is going to go more like – Chiefs 49ers than it is going to go like Chiefs Buccaneers. And I've brought up to you that that you go back and you look at that that first Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes won, and the San Francisco 49ers, a very complete team, played a near-perfect game. They had control of the football game. They had a sound game plan. They were rolling. They had everything locked in, and they had a double-digit lead with nine minutes to go. And then Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things, and he led them back. And by the time the confetti started raining down, you had a 11-point Chiefs win because magical players make magical things happen. The other anecdote that I shared on the radio earlier today is, you know, in 2017, when I'm at Clemson's Pro Day doing some work on the 2017 quarterback class, and Jordan Palmer tells me, Deshaun Watson beat Alabama in the national championship game in the final minutes because Deshaun Watson does does those things all the time. And it was no surprise that he was going to make the plays on the biggest stage under the biggest pressure that there is to have because he's the best player in the game. And then what happened in that same football season, five weeks later in the NFL, Tom Brady was down 28 to three to the Falcons in the Super Bowl and he rallied and he won it because the best player in the game in the biggest moments sometimes takes over. Patrick Mahomes is going to do that Sunday afternoon, 27-23. Two MVP awards, two Super Bowl trophies for Patrick Mahomes in five years as a starter. Wait, real, I, okay, I like Kansas that. City, I like that, Dan, Dan, don't spill any barbecue sauce in Mitch's office there. <laughs> <laughs> real quick, I forgot to give my MVP. I'm going Jalen Hurts for the MVP. Okay. okay. Shocking you guys picked the quarterbacks. Okay, this is going Probably to be time. Eagles. Eagles are going to dominate the lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, control the football, it's going to be a close game because Mahomes is who he is, two-time MVP already at 27, but too much Jalen Hurts, too much uh, Miles Sanders, too much offense, but I think this game is going to be won by the defensive line. I don't like Ndamukong Sue, but I do respect him. He tries to you know, hurt people when he tackles them. This defensive line is fierce, and they will be dominant. Hassan Reddick will be this year's version of Von Miller, who will be the 1985, uh, remind you of Richard Dent. He will be the MVP. I think the Eagles will win 31-27. Fly, Eagles, fly. Are you going to sing it? Can't you sing us on the way out? No, I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) I'll leave that to Nick Sirianni, my guy that I have been critiquing for two weeks, and I wonder what his exact role is on a roster that is so clearly better than any other in the NFL, but I will give him his due respect especially if he wins the Super Bowl, as I expect him to win on Sunday night. So when we get back after the Super Bowl and we do our next episode, we'll have a lot to talk about, obviously. But can we make sure that we we circle back and not let it fall uh, into the wayside, the Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat? I think we really, really, really have to get to we'll the get bottom to that. of that. Maybe I'll try, instead of four days, maybe I'll try like 40 minutes in the complete dark and I'll report back with my experiences. That would be a great visual. I think that would be great for our YouTube audience to see this total darkness and this voice come out every now and then. We might have a bit here that we're spitballing here. We may have to work in. We may have to lean into this. All right. We'll look into that next week. We will be back dropping an episode on Tuesday, uh, planning to do our normal offseason schedule. There's a lot to talk about. As you found out today, we got through this talking about Justin Fields, Michael Lombardi, among other things. It's been a lot of fun. And so you can get us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast, or you can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. For Dan Weederer, for Adam Sudzinski in the Devin Hester jersey, I am David Hall. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the commercials. Enjoy the Mahomes coronation. Great talk. See you out there.